Daddy! <laughs> I wonder if I go out there and be like, Daddy! Will they like be like, girl, get out and give an envelope that ain't got no money in it? <laughs> and if they know it inside, they'd be like, psych! <laughs> Scan. Please listen to my show. <laughs> he would be like, bitch. <laughs> Here's the link to my show. I talked about you. It wasn't positive. It wasn't good, but it still had views. Thank you. Oh, that's terrible. Then I found out. Remember I had talked about that necklace that lady had on? Uh, yeah, yeah. I found out you got to be at least a $500 donor to get the necklace. I'm not mm-mm. y'all get <laughs> not $500 for a necklace that said UHOP but the U was over here and the HOP was over here so it was like a bended metal it wasn't oh, like it wasn't like UHOP it was like U H O like the kind of inexpensive looking that you like wrap the little uh, gemstones in that kind of thing $500 <laughs> I said oh uh, mm-mm mm-mm Daddy Bailey, sweet Daddy Bailey, are you coming in town in October? Because if you are, I'm coming too. I'm going to pull up. You know, I'll be driving by there at like 11 o'clock at night, and they still be there. When I leave work at the restaurant, they be, parking lot be full, child. It's like 10 o'clock at night. Like, what y'all doing? Man, listen, it's the way that if I'm on my knees at 10 o'clock at night, it's not for prayer. Okay. I'm not, it's not, ain't no prayers coming at 10 o'clock, baby. It's giving sin. (laughs) It's giving sinful. (laughs) 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 Hey, y'all, and welcome to In Kaylin Color. I'm your host, Kendra, and I'm here to tell you all about true black crime. I want to bring the light, the unheard, and push down stories of black serial killers, lesser-known murderers, and true tales of crime scene cleanup. The danger in ignoring black victims and perpetrators is not only in the devaluation of black life, but also in ignoring systematic oppression that makes black people more vulnerable to violent crime and less likely to receive justice. I'm not saying let's celebrate black crime, But let's just bring some light to it and let the people know what's really happening. True crime is horrible. Luckily, I'm not. Here we go. These are their stories. Hey, y'all, and welcome to episode number 11 of In Killing Color. We are back with a brand new episode after our wonderful House of Prayer (laughs) story. Uh, But today, this story is a little bit different. This is actually about a serial killer. So we're back to seriously serial. But this serial killer wasn't found out until after he died. Very random, kind of weird, but we're about to get into it. And we'll give you the story of Joe Michael Irvin. Let's get to it. 
Between 1969 and 1981, Joe Michael Irvin went on a violent killing spree that basically ended up in six people dead. But the extent of his crimes was largely unknown until a chance encounter with a police officer. In 1981, Colorado police officer Deborah Sue Corr pulled over Joe, who was suspected of driving under the influence. Corr had no idea that Irvin was actually a cold-hearted serial killer and that she was about to become his last victim. They begin to tussle or whatever, and then Irvin managed to disarm her and use her own gun, her own service pistol, to shoot her in the head. He then shot a passerby who had stopped to help her and frantically left the scene. So he shot her in the head. Somebody tried to help, but he got shot too, but he was able to get up out of there. Good for you, sir, because you was about to be victim number eight. Um, he finally went and got, he got home, Joe got home or whatever. And then he got arrested while he was at home, but he was trying to like saw the handcuffs off that homegirl had put on him earlier. So he did all this like cuffed and he was at home trying to saw off his own cuffs when the police came and got him again. However, the shitty part about this whole story is that Irvin basically would never face justice for the shit that he did. Because while he was in lockup, Joe hung himself at the jail. So he didn't go to court. He didn't do nothing. He hung himself and said, I ain't about to do this with y'all today, baby. Catch me if you can, ho. And he left this world. All right, Joe. After that, he became a major suspect in four cold case murders between 1978 and 1981. Basically, with the aid of DNA and genealogy services, kind of like uh, 23andMe or Ancestry.com, that's how most of his crimes were actually revealed later on. So, born on June the 25th, 1951 in Fort Worth, Texas. Hey, baby, Texas. But, you know, Texas bring crazy people. So, mm, maybe that explains why I'm a little bit off. <laughs> All right, y'all, I'm not going to do this with y'all today. Okay. He uh, basically killed his first victim before he was even an adult. So on August the 9th, 1969, Joe was 17 years old. He used to play football at Kirkpatrick High School. And he was hanging around um, this bowling alley called the Berry Bowl. And he was kind of kicking in the parking lot. And he came across a car that had like two dudes inside the car. And the two people in the car was 21-year-old Rodney Green Bonham and his friend Larry Holt. And they were both students at uh, Tarrant County Junior College. And they had recently just arrived at the lot to, you know, kick it with some friends at the bowling alley. So Irvin and his unnamed friend walked up to the driver's side window and leaned in to ask Buddy a question. And according to like different sources, either the question was about getting some beer from one of the guys or if the two guys were waiting on somebody. When Bonham replied that they were about to go inside and chill, Irving then pulled out a pistol and shot him in the neck and he threatened to do the same thing with Holt if he didn't do what he told him to do. Holt pretended like he was going to do it, but once they got distracted, he slammed the door shut and tried to run out and he fled inside the bowling alley where he called for help. So remarkably, Irving called Bonham's father. That was the first guy he shot. Irving called Bonham's father upon hearing about the news of him dying. And he said to the boy's dad, I'm sorry he's dead, 
but we all have to go sometime. I'm sorry I shot him. <laughs> Joe said, <laughs> everybody got to go sometime, baby. It was your man's turn. Joe, he's a wild boy for that. And you're 17 years old. And you say, hey, eh, fuck it. So fearing that he was going to get arrested, Irvin left and he fled to Colorado where he settled in Denver and he changed his name to Joe Michael Irwin, basically to try to seal his identity so nobody would find out what he was doing. So from 1970 to 1977, he would be repeatedly charged with offenses such as burglary, rape, sexually abusing children and assault with a deadly weapon. But each time he was found not guilty on the grounds of diminished responsibility. Now, I know a lot of the true crime people probably know what that is, but if you're not, basically diminished responsibility is a defense where they use that basically says, even though they broke the law, they can't be held fully liable because they were mentally diminished or they were mentally impaired or they didn't have the capacity to understand what they were doing. So he got away with all of this stuff based on diminished responsibility. I'm not really sure if they use that claim a lot now because if so it would be a lot of motherfuckers not in jail because a lot of them ain't got no capacity and it's definitely diminished so I don't know we have to look that up if somebody want to look it up y'all can tell me because I ain't about to do it <laughs> so instead of serving jail time he was repeatedly put into the Colorado State Hospital and after a couple months every time they let him out later would reveal that while he was there, um, typographical er errors, because, you know, he changed his name from Joe Michael Irvin to Joe Michael Irwin. When they looked it up, they didn't see his name, so they didn't see any active warrants, although he had them in Texas. So there was no way they could keep him because they didn't have the right name, so they didn't know they were looking for the right person. So once the district attorneys, they tried to figure it out, raise his bond, everything, but that was all unsuccessful. So ultimately, he was released and he continued his killing spree. That's how you know the system be some bullshit. One little typographical error and it's like serial killer back on the loose because my last name is Irvin. It's actually Irwin. You didn't see me. So catch me if you can. It's giving Leonardo DiCaprio. That movie was good. I know y'all seen it. Anyway, on December 7th, 1978, Irvin. Mm, he knocked on the door of 33-year-old. Her name is so long, and it's hard for me to say, so I'm just going to say her name is Madeline. She was a housewife who was alone with her two daughters at the time. When she opened the door, he forced her into the bedroom where he repeatedly stabbed her until she died. Her body was later discovered by her husband, Antonio, as he came home from work. She grew up in Central Florida, and she traveled to Africa and Europe for her work, and her husband was the editor at a children's magazine called Ranger Rick. At the time, Denver police were prevented from properly investigating her case due to other unrelated murders, basically by him and other people at the time. So she really didn't get like a thorough investigation and proper follow through as she should have. On August the 10th, 1980, Irvin confronted 53 year old Dolores. I'm just going to keep everybody's first name because I'm going to butcher it and I don't want to do that. Dolores she was an employee at the Fairmount Hotel in downtown Denver and she was walking home late from work one night he grabbed her he stabbed her multiple times dragged her body to the back of a nearby apartment building where her body was found later on she was married she had grandchildren 
She also didn't even live in Colorado, but she spent the summer there visiting her family and was working at a hotel just to make a little coin. She was on vacation and he killed her. You just never know people's story. Like you just, let me just go kill this lady. And you'd be like, damn, she ain't even, she was just trying to kick it, make a little coin for the family. And here you go. Stab. Okay. On December 21st, the body of 27-year-old Gwendolyn was found with multiple stabs room in a Montebello neighborhood, not far from where Irvin actually lived. She was, they said they described her as um, soft-spoken. She was bright. They had last saw her the night before at a club called the Polo Lounge. And at that point, her identity could not be positively, 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 positively established at first. But she was later identified after an autopsy. But the worst crime that he probably had was when he stabbed 17 year old Antoinette Parks in a field on January 24th, 1981. She was actually six months pregnant at the time. She went to Gateway High School. She grew up in Aurora. Well, she the high school was in Aurora, excuse me, but she grew up in Denver. She had five siblings and they said that she loved children. Her family thought that she would have made a career in childcare or education or something like that. Like the between him and like Paul killing all these ladies with like pregnant, like that's probably a little bit further than diminished capacity. That is just like no emotion whatsoever. Like how you stab a lady that's actually pregnant. Like you don't feel sorry for people. Like, you don't, like, I don't even have nothing funny to say about that because that shit ain't funny. Like, that is wild as hell. Okay, so after that point, um, these murders would ultimately turn into cold cases for decades, despite Irvin's arrest months after his last killing. The officer, um, I told you about the story with Officer Core and all that good stuff. The passerby who actually tried to help Officer Core was the 19-year-old Glenn Spies. Uh, he got shot in the back, but he survived. So he was able to give a description of the guy and he got his license plate and stuff. So he was able to basically turn him in and he was able, that's how he was able to get caught up. Irvin, like I said earlier, he was actually found dead while he was in solitary confinement at the Adams County jail during a routine check one evening. He also wrote a note confessing to Cora's murder before doing all that. So he didn't say anything about anybody else, but he did say that he did kill the police officer. So the Colorado investigators tried to get DNA samples and compare his DNA to the unidentified DNA found at the scenes of all four of those homicides, but that was unsuccessful. As a result, the investigators went to Texas and with the help of the state officials, they were able to exhume Irvin's body and get the DNA sample later. So let's fast forward to January 29th of 2022. Okay. 40 years. I didn't say four. I said 40 because your girl is 41. This happened 40 years later. The Denver police made an announcement that finally brought some closure to the number of grieving families that he had caused these problems to. They said that based on DNA samples and genetic genealogy services, that Joe was the one behind the murders of the four ladies and the cop. This is a quick little sequence of events that they put together to say basically how they came up with all this stuff. So between the years of 2013 and 2018, the four cases were linked together by DNA evidence. And then three separate, three separate like genealogy, genealogical, genealogical. Yeah. 
genealogical searches with family in Colorado, kind of link those all together. Then the Denver Crime Laboratory began an in-house investigative genetic genealogy, IgG, work in 2019, which led to the positive ancestry link to Texas, which was where Joe was from. Another familiar search, familial search was conducted in Texas in the summer of 2021, which resulted in the identification of a close relative of another unidentified subject. Then at that point, um, investigators identified Joe as a potential suspect. And then once they exhumed his body, they were able to get the samples. And this was late 2021. And then at that point, they were able to tie all those together and figure out exactly who killed their family. So just think about like, if we never had, like people always talk down on like DNA and stuff like that, like doing the stuff. I did it because I wanted to know what's up, but it can be very helpful, obviously. Like if you have people, it's been, it was 40 years. These people are walking around like my grandma got murdered. I don't know. My mama got murdered. My sister got murdered. We don't know shit. We don't know shit. But now thanks to DNA and science that y'all be so upset about, you found out who killed your family members. And now you have a small bit of peace. I mean, shit, you've had 40 years to deal with it, but now you actually can kind of rest a little bit. Not a lot because you're still upset, but you can chill a little bit. All the families of the victims were thankful that they were able to get some closure after all this time. And just like I said, if it wasn't for this DNA stuff, you would have never figured any of this out. Also, on the other side of all this, I know this was a short one, but, you know, sometimes we got short ones because it's not a lot to go on. Researching this case was actually really, really, really difficult because I could not find shit about him as a person. Nothing. Literally, there was like one page of Google results for him and that was it. Like, that's it. Nothing by his mama, his daddy, nothing. I know he had a mama and daddy. I know he had a family. There was nothing. Which also brings me back to the premise of this show. In Killing Color color if you look up any white serial killer swear to god you're gonna have 900 pages his mother was a baker who worked in the bakery downtown his dad was a coal miner who actually had three kids by the neighbor who decided to drink and beat his wife every day like he had red hair and freckles his ears were pierced and they were pointy shaped like you can find anything out about them i'm talking about trauma everything but basically this guy, like his life story literally started at age 17. Like he didn't, he didn't exist before 17. It just like fell out of the sky. Kind of like that movie, Brightburn. Y'all, you seen Brightburn before? Brightburn basically is like an alien kid that was found in the woods and his family raised him. So he was like 12 or 13. Then he started going out and like in this barn and this magic thing was calling to him and he decided to start killing people so he fucking killed everybody he killed everybody all the girls that wouldn't talk to him he killed his daddy he ended up killing his mama and he like went out he killed his uncle he killed his aunt and then the motherfucker went out in the world and just basically destroyed the fucking earth you know i like to talk about movies that's another movie you ain't seen it go see it because it's real fucking good but it's just like i don't understand how like a lot of these black murderers and stuff just just pop up out of nowhere it's like they didn't have a life like all you know is I'm 17 I shot a white kid never mind like what was you doing at elementary what elementary school you go to what's your sister you had a sister what's her name 
everybody else. I bet you I know Jeffrey Dahmer's mama's shoe size. I bet you I know what kind of truck his daddy drove back and forth to work every day. Shit, we probably know what kind of seasoning he used on the goddamn bodies. But we can't find out what Joe Michael Irvin was doing before August when he was 17. That's some bullshit. I need more details. I need more tea on these people. And I don't know if that's like, because I can't research no more. I can't even, you can't, like, it's only so much you can find. But it's a shit ton of stuff you can find about these damn everybody else. I I don't say everybody else. The whites. I mean, just being completely honest with you, we've talked about that since episode number one. I've said it and I'm going to continue saying it again. Where's the information on the black killers? Not trying to glorify black murders, but like I said, I'm just trying to bring some light to it so y'all can get some information and be knowledgeable just like me. Because I can spit off random serial killer shit all day long. Don't nobody want to hear that from me though, (laughs) but I'm going to talk about it because I know it. But everybody don't know that. Nobody knew this story. I just randomly ran across this one day. I was like, damn, they found out about it after 40 years after the shit happened. 40. And people are just finding out about this really in January of 2022. But you knew about Jeffrey Dahmer when he was slicing them shits up and frying them with some avocado oil and a cast iron skillet on top of his mid-range burner. <laughs> y'all <laughs> like I said this episode was a short one because obviously it wasn't nothing to talk about. it wasn't a lot Joe Michael Irvin they found out about him afterwards hey it happens stranger things have happened appreciate y'all thank you for listening to this episode make sure you're following me on all social media at in killing color my producers it's the sweet talkers theme song remix maniacs research t and all that shit is done by me and if y'all want to help y'all can send me stuff too because people send me stories all the time and i appreciate that because a lot of stuff i just be so involved trying to figure out this other stuff i have on my list i don't have time to find other stuff but y'all be sending me stuff and i appreciate that that shows y'all love me make sure y'all tune in next week because we got another one love y'all bye Before I turn this off, because you, I want to know from your vantage point, what spice rub do you think Jeffrey Dahmer was using? You know, (laughs) because you seem to think he was seasoning. So you know, like that was a question that I saw online. I was like, maybe, you know, (laughs) folks are not the folk are not known for using like lots of seasoning. So at first, I was gonna say like maybe just salt and pepper, little oil, sizzle in the pan. But then I thought about it. Maybe they use accent salt. <laughs> Not the um, MSG. Accent. A little accent. Because I know he wasn't using Lowry's. <laughs> of course not. So I'm just going to give him salt and pepper. Maybe uh-huh. through a little hot sauce. Because, you know, he only killed, like, mostly black people. So maybe maybe we had a little more flavor than this everybody is, else. This is garbage. <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer, season salt.
all five. <laughs> <laughs> it's giving lemon pepper. Dumber dash. Dumber <laughs> dash. Have a little dumber dash. <laughs> <laughs>